Good morning. How are you feeling today? I hope that you're feeling good and fine. For me, I'm feeling a little bit disappointed that we have to wait a while before we can worship together in the church again. I hope that you are staying connected virtually with other brothers and sisters during this period. If you need help to get connected or if you need prayer, do let us know. You can indicate in the website link found on this video description or at the end of this video. We are here to help you. Let me ask you a question. During this circuit breaker period, do you look at the mirror more or do you look at the mirror less? I suspect that those of you who work from home like me, you probably look at the mirror less. Why? Since we are staying at home, we don't have to impress others on how we look. Nobody to impress. So we look at the mirror less. When you look at the mirror, do you have any idea of what you really look like? You have a picture in your mind what you hope you will look like. In your mind, you hope that you will look the best to others. And that's just the physical. You and I, we walk around with also an image in our mind of what we hope we will look like as a person to people around us. What your character is like, what your soul is like. Are you a lovable person or are you a hard-to-love person? Are you a good person or are you a bad person? Are you beautiful or are you ugly? Are you spiritual or are you unspiritual? We walk around with an image in our mind of what we hope we will look like to other people. And you cannot say you don't care because it matters to you. If you, are, if you think that you can live your life satisfied with your own evaluation of yourself, your own verdict, your own pronouncement, whether you are good or bad, beautiful or ugly, let me tell you this. You cannot. You can't live with your own evaluation from yourself. Two reasons. You will feel that you are not good enough according to your own standard of evaluations. And secondly, your verdict of yourself is never enough. You really want to know what others think about you. You desperately need pronouncement from outside. You want to know, yet you are afraid to know. So basically, you are living your entire life trying to prove yourself so that you get those verdicts and pronouncements. Whether you are a believer in God or not, you and I, we always wanting a verdict from others, both from people or from God, to tell us that we are okay. You see, in the past, people in the Old Testament, they looked for intermediary, a high priest, to help them to get a good verdict from God. A good pronouncement will equal a good blessing. Then a good year, hopefully, will follow. The high priest will do it through animal sacrifices. He will represent God's people to bring these sacrifices before God and hoping that the blood of the animal can atone or cover or take away their sins. Then God will accept them and hopefully people will accept them too. So today, we're going to look at the role of the high priest in Hebrew chapter 5. Last Sunday, Joshua 2 helped us to see that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He was tempted in every way and gained victory over sin each time. So, he understands our weaknesses and his best represents us before God. Today, 
We're going to look at another aspect of his role as a high priest and advocate. Jesus is our advocate here. But first, let us recap on Hebrew chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter 1 to chapter 4. In chapter 1, the author started off by showing that Jesus is greater than the prophets because he is God's ultimate revelations. Then he continued to show that Jesus is greater than angels because he is God. Therefore, we should really pay attention to Jesus and his message, the gospel. In chapter 2, he showed why Jesus had to temporarily become a man. He did it so that he restore, he could restore dominion, our dominion on earth. By his death on the cross, he gained victory over sin, over death and the devil. And in chapter 3 to chapter 4, he warned about not missing out on God's ultimate Sabbath rest in heaven. How not to miss out? Number one, to be remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Number two, to look to Jesus as our high priest. There are several aspects of Jesus being our high priest in representing us before God. So we're going to look at them today. So you have the Bible, you turn to Hebrew chapter 5. If not, just look at the PowerPoint here. Let me read to you. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to witness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he received it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Jesus did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So in the Old Testament, how do the people approach the holy God? When God brought his people out of slavery, in Egypt into the promised land in Canaan. He set out the way where his people can approach his presence for his blessing and help. You see, God is holy and glorious, yet the people are full of sins. So the way they can approach God is through a human representative, the priest. They are the one to bring the animal sacrifice to purify their guilt. First, let's look at the priest. Then we look at the high priest. First, the priest. The priest's role is to offer people's gifts and sacrifices to God in the holy place within the tabernacle or the temple. The holy place. And they do that regularly. And the priests, they come from the tribe of Levi. Next, we look at the high priest. The high priest, they will offer the atonement sacrifice covering over the people's sins and they'll enter the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement to plead for the forgiveness of sins. All the high priests are supposed to come from the direct line and descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. And God is the one who called Aaron and his descendants to fulfill this role. And for thousands of years, all this has been a way 
with God's people to approach God and to worship Him and to come before His presence to get the verdict from Him. And then we come back right now to Hebrews chapter 5 where the Aaronic priesthood is compared with Jesus' priesthood. Why the comparison? Well, the author is trying to show that Jesus' priesthood is one sense is similar to Aaronic priesthood, but yet different. It's greater. The same, same, but greater. So, we need to pay more attention to Jesus. The author did not present a full list of the characteristics of the high priest, but concentrate on those features of Aaronic high priest that are relevant to the theme of Jesus being our high priest here in Hebrew chapter 5. The similarities stress the solidarity of both Aaronic and Jesus high priest with human beings, fellow human beings. And the differences stress the greater effectiveness of Jesus' priesthood. Yeah, the same, same, but greater. Let's compare them, okay? First, Aaronic priesthood. You're selected from a man-man. He's a human being. Jesus, he's also a human being. God become man. Aaronic priesthood, they represent man before God. Jesus, same way also, represents man before God. Aaronic priesthood, they sympathize with fellow men. Why? Because they were tempted. But the problem is they themselves are sinful. They, they themselves fall into sin. But Jesus, the difference is this. He empathized with our weaknesses. Yes, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Jesus was sinless. Let's look at the Aaronic priesthood. They are called by God from the Aaron's line. And they serve with a limited time frame. For a time, because when the time is up, they die, the next person take over. There's a limited time frame. Whereas Jesus Christ, he is called by God to be the exalted son and prime priest. In the order of Melchizedek. What is this order of Melchizedek? It's a different order from Aaronic order. This order is really forever. It's without beginning, without ending. We're going to talk more about this Melchizedek high priest order in the subsequent chapter in the Hebrew. Next, the Aaronic high priest, they offer gifts and sacrifices for man's sins. First, they need to offer sacrifices for themselves because they have fallen, because they have sinned, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus is different. Jesus offers sacrifices, atonement for other people. He don't have to offer sacrifices for himself because he was sinless. He himself was a perfect sacrifice. Well, we can see here, Jesus is so much greater than the Aaronic priesthood. The last part of this comparison, just now, you, you see, you see the chart there, just now, the last part. Okay, the last thing that Jesus did was really interesting. That is, he offered sacrifices. Okay, so today I want I want to focus on this offer. The last part here, the uh, offer sacrifices. Jesus here is both the sacrificial lamb as well as the high priest. Let's look at the first one. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He was the sinless man whose blood was shed to pay the penalty for our sins. But yet at the same time, Jesus is the high priest, the one who brings the sacrifice to God. And as a high priest, he also acts as our advocate. He acts as our advocate. The one 
who stand uh, before the courtroom representing us. First John chapter 2 will explain a little bit more about how the advocate's role as well as being the atoning sacrifice. Let me read to you First John chapter 2 verse 1 to 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, if Jesus is our advocate, you see here, what is he doing there? Well, why do you hire a lawyer when you're in need? You hire a lawyer to speak on your behalf, to make a case for you. You see here right now, Jesus is our representative speaking on our behalf like a lawyer before God the Father, our legal proxy, our advocate. He was up there pleading on the throne for our sake. So why is this important? Remember the mirror illustrations I mentioned earlier at the beginning of my sermon? Well, we walk around with an image of what we hope will be looking okay, that people will say that we are okay. We are always wanting a verdict from people as well as verdict from God to tell us that we are okay. We are like in the courtroom. Well, recently I read an article by Alan Nihora. He's writing as a columnist in the Guardian paper. He's a secular Jew, an agnostic, one who are not sure whether God ex- exists, one who don't really believe in uh, God. And inside the article, he shared with his therapist. This is what he shared. Let me read to you. I spent 20 years of my life trying to prove to myself that I was worthy. I saw every failure as a sign that I was worthless, part of the evidence against my soul. I saw every success as something that I had to grab on, hold on to for my dear life, for whatever the court case was brought against me. Relationships were the same way. Instead of spending my time loving friends and family, giving to them, I was always building a case for or against them, weighing whether they deserve my attention. In my mind, there was a case being built against me. Even though I wasn't religious, I subconsciously imagined some divine detective gathering evidence every time I screw up. Soon I was convinced the evidence was so stacked up against me that I would simply have to accept it. I was bad. I always seemed to be much more worried about what others, uh, what people thought of me than what I actually acted. I would sometimes obsess with a tiny mistake verbally abusing myself for it, calling myself names and generally hating myself. Often, I would judge people, I would judge friends and people close to me just as harshly. If they hurt me, something I judge as wrong, it would almost be impossible for me to let it go. I would drop them convincing myself I have left the bad people. And so, life went on, judging myself and others for what I felt was inherently within us. A goodness or badness? A completeness or brokenness? Well, you see from this, he feels that there are people around him giving him verdicts. Himself, or people around, and even the divine detective. And what are these verdicts? Always say, bad. And he was in the same way giving the verdicts to other people. 
to judge other people. It's like in the courtroom. Sounds familiar? Well, like Elliot, every day, we are in the world. We get sucked back into the courtroom. We find ourselves arguing, gathering evidences, spinning, criticizing, looking down at people, and then getting, uh, and then getting sucked back to the courtroom. We are trying to convince ourselves and other people that we are people of consequence, people who count. And what evidence we gather? Well, example, our work, the quality of our work, that we are okay, the type of work, I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor, different kind of evidence that I'm okay. And sometimes even in church, in our ministry, I lead worship, I lead Bible study, I give a lot, I was helping, and all these things evidence to show that we are okay. And sometimes people even go into social justice. They fight for the rights of other people. The migrant foreign workers, the poor, the needy, the needy and even uh, the, the, to fight for environmental friendly thing for the green purposes. Sometimes it's a good cause, but people are using it to buff up themselves as evidence to show that they are okay. And some people, they show off their loved ones. The people that they have brought up, their friends, their children, and their, their, their parents, as their spouse to show that I'm okay. No one is bad. Recently, I heard a churchmate share this. That a friend of hers recently she suggested a few times that she wasn't doing enough for God. Whether the message was really intended for her or not, it doesn't matter. For her, at first, she felt upset. Later, she felt condemned. She knew that God is a loving father. Yet in this season, somehow, she just saw only one side of God, God being the judge. She was brought back to the courtroom and she felt condemned. Christians are not spared. We are back to the courtroom. Like the sister, like Alec, we all find ourselves in the courtroom. And the worst thing is that the verdict is usually bad. And therefore, we go around without that confidence, without that feel, without that freedom, we feel out judged. So what are we going to do about it? Aha. Let us go back to Hebrew chapter 5. Let's look at Hebrew chapter 5 and see what is Jesus doing on our behalf here. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was hurt because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedient from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You see here, in this passage, Jesus' appointment as high priest was not conferred to him simply because he was the son of God. But the appointment was one of tearful prayers, enormous suffering and endurance. Jesus' experience was not designed simply to equate him to human situations, but it is to prepare him for the climatic act of doing the sacrifice for our sins. You know what? No matter how difficult, no matter how heart-wrenching of him to be separated from God the Father there when he was on the throne, 
Jesus did not give in. Jesus did not give up. He stayed. He obeyed God all the way. Why? For you. For me. For his father. And there's one verse there. In verse 8. Interestingly, he mentions, Although he was son, he learned obedience. Learned obedience from the things that he suffered. This does not mean that Jesus moved from disobedient to this to obedient. It does not mean that. For what it means that Jesus learned obedience, it means that he moved from being untested to being tested and was proven. He moved from obeying without any suffering to obeying through unspeakable suffering. It means that the goal of his natural purity was put in the crucible, melted down with enormous pain, so that he could learn from experience what suffering is and prove that his purity would persevere. Thus, it qualified him to be our perfect sacrifice, our great high priest, who is also our advocate. Jesus stand there as our representative, speaking on our behalf before God the Father, our legal proxy. He was pleading before the throne for our sake. This is something that is great. But to some, it might be a different picture altogether. To some, it can sound like this, that when we sin against God, you stand guilty before God, you plead to Jesus for his help. And Jesus says, to the Father. Oh, Father, please don't wipe him out for my sake. Please don't wipe him out. I can't believe he did that again. One more time, Father. Just give him one more chance for my sake, Father. And then God the Father looked down at Jesus. Well, okay, for your sake, all right, just one more time. If this is the picture you have in mind of what's happening in heaven, it can be a very nerve-wracking metaphor. When will the Father finally say, Okay, I had it. I had it. This was the last time. Forget it. Condemned. When will the Father say, If that's the picture, that is a wrong picture. If you look at the passage, the passage does not say, The advocate standing there as Jesus the persuasive one. No. He said there, Jesus the perfect one. Jesus the perfect advocate. You see, a really good lawyer doesn't just play on the emotions on the court. A good lawyer has a good case. He has a good case. And Jesus has a good case. He was the perfect sacrifice. Here you see, Jesus was appealing for justice. Jesus is telling God the Father what the law is. He probably say something like this, Father, yes, Chi Ming have sinned again, but I have died the death he should have died, and I have lived the life that he should have lived in his place. I am his advocate. He is in me because he believed in me, he obeyed me. Father, when you look at him, you see me. You see all that I have done. You see all that I am. And therefore, Father, it will be unjust to take two payments for this sins. I have already paid it. I now appeal to your 
justice. And you know what's the father's reply? Chop. Not guilty. Why? Chop. Payment made in full. Not guilty. Wow. That's God's verdict of me. No condemnations. Not a bad person. A forgiven person. A cleared person. Every time I come before God, every time I perform before God, Jesus Christ pleading on my behalf. And it's always the same verdict because Jesus is my righteous advocate. But that's not just it. I'm not just forgiven. You are not just forgiven. That's another thing that Jesus did as our advocate. It is his full obedience. Full obedience. This obedient part of Jesus. Theologians over the year have made a distinction between uh, the passive aspect of Jesus' obedience, the so-called passive, as well as the so-called active aspect of Jesus' work. Let me just brief and show it to you. First of all, his passive obedience. This is talking about Jesus taking on the penalty we deserve. He died the death that we should have died because of our sins. He received a penalty for our disobedience to God's law. As a result, we who believe in Jesus can be free from any condemnation from sins. That's what I talked about earlier. The second part here is very interesting. That is his active obedience. He lived the life that we should have lived. His obedient life was tested by much suffering, much endurance. He obeyed God fully. Thus, he is righteous. Active and passive obedience working together. I've shared this before in some of my sermons, maybe in the past, but it's good to be reminded again. What does it mean to us? Jesus, passive obedience, Jesus, active obedience. Jesus, active obedience, it's really wonderful. You know what? He is righteous and his righteous is imputed or credited to us, given to us. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 21. God made him who had no sin to be seen for us, so that we might become righteousness of God in him. That means Jesus' righteousness is now credited to me, to you, as well as his sacrifice. When you and I, we believe in Jesus, we are seen by God as righteous. We are seen as the obedient ones. We are seen as doing as well as Jesus did. Not just dying as well as Jesus died. That's incredible truth. And I hope that you will really embrace this and know this and say this to yourself day and day after day and give you the tremendous freedom. So how does knowing and embracing that Jesus as your advocate, Jesus as your righteousness, what does it do to you today? Number one, it will give you the secure identity. No more on trial. No more need to prove yourself to the people around you. No more need to gather evidence. Because God say you are righteous. You are righteous. We are given the honor. You and I, we are not prisoners who have been freed 
are free already and then given a bus fare from prison to home. So sad, right? No. We are like prisoners who have been freed and then draped with the medal of honor with all the rights, with all the benefits that come with it. We are not just given pardon and freedom. We are fully loved and fully honored. That is what the active obedience work of Jesus in your life. I shared a story in the past before, but I want to share it again because it depicts this uh, point so clearly. This story came from one of Tim Keller's uh, sermon a few years back that I heard. Let me share with you again. There was a, a TV detective show about a story of a man in his 80s, he was an ex-Marine soldier. He was sadly broken, accused of a crime. And then, two big, strapping military police, MP, as well as one more snarling Navy lawyer came to arrest him. They were speaking roughly and barking orders at him. When suddenly, the old man's coat was pulled over and there revealed a congressional Medal of Honor, which this old man had won decades before at World War II. At the sight of the medal, the lawyer and the MP snapped into attention. They salute. They were not saluting the old man. Of course, in himself, he was a criminal. And in many ways, he was a total failure. But for the sake of that medal, which represents not only his sacrificial deeds, but the valors of hundreds of others in the military service over the centuries, he was treated with honor. And this truth of Christ's active obedience can transform your self-regards, give you a new identity, give you the new balas, new poise, new strength that is available for you. Jesus not only pardoned you, he had pinned his medal of honor on you, on me. When you believe Him, you are not just forgiven, you become beautiful and righteous in God's sight. So how, by knowing this, help you to deal with criticism, deal with failure, deal with weaknesses in your life? We should not look at who we are in ourselves, but who we are in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes, after we messed up, we realize upon reflection that we are trying to save face. We are trying to scrambling around for reputations or approval or getting evidences to show that we are okay. In other words, we are trying to prove ourselves. We are trying to make ourselves feel important and decent instead of letting Jesus carry the burden of significance. If you really understood how God regards us in Christ, we could take disapproval, failures in strife. In strife. But there's another thing that this passage gives us. I know people have said, I would follow Christ, but I do not think I can keep up. I do not trust myself. I think he will get tired of my face. Then you look to the sympathetic high priest, one who understands our weaknesses. At the same time, you look to our perfect advocate, one who made the perfect case for us by his full obedience. And this truth is powerful, powerful. 
we need, particularly in, in times in our life when we face very stressful situations. For me, I like to um, embrace this, particularly on Sunday morning. Because I know Sunday, I'm very busy. And Sunday is a time where, um, yes, I tend to judge my performance by what I feel that I have done or what people say about what I've done that day, the, the sermon that I preached, the prayers that I preached, the people that are encouraged. So on Sunday morning, I usually affirm this truth in my heart. And I tell myself, today, regardless of how I perform, God still loves me. Christ's righteousness, Christ's honor is always upon me, regardless of how I perform today. And give me that freedom to live, freedom to serve, freedom from accusation, freedom from condemnations. And I encourage you to also practice that. The days when you feel that, wow, the whole world is crumbling down. Affirm this truth. Let me get back again. How does knowing and embracing Jesus as your advocate and righteousness do to you today? First, I mentioned a new identity, a new balance to live your life. And secondly, maturity. Growing in maturity. Let me read the last part of Hebrew chapter 5. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elemental truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who drinks of milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Some people may be thinking, since God always forgive me, since God always accept me because, what, because of what Christ has done and achieved for us, then people will go on living their lives their own way, disregarding God. Actually, the opposite will be true. After knowing how much Jesus has done for you and having that secure identity, you will want, at the same time, you will have the new strength to grow in righteousness. To grow to be more and more like Jesus. You will want to grow in maturity. You see, the readers in the book of Hebrews were still infants in Christ because they did not fully embrace Jesus as their advocate, as their high priest, as their righteousness. It is not because they have understood the priesthood ministry of Jesus. It was because they don't fully understand, they don't fully embrace. They were still relying on spiritual milk rather than solid food. They were not growing in maturity. You and I, we need not to be like that. We have a secure identity, unshakable one, because our judge, our creator, our father says we are okay. So let's grow in maturity. Let's grow in maturity. So knowing Jesus as your advocate and righteousness give you the new identity, give you the new maturity. Just imagine me. What would happen if we all today look at the mirror? We didn't see our wretched self. We didn't see the condemned self. Instead, we look at the mirror, we see Jesus, our advocate standing before God the Father saying, you are okay. Not guilty. Fully accepted. You see Jesus, our righteousness, 
our righteous one, saying, you are now, you now have my badge of honor. My obedience is your obedience. My righteousness, your righteousness. Imagine all of us have this vision of ourselves. You will have that freedom that no failures, no weakness, no disappointment can bring you down. You have that power and the courage to mature as a father, to mature as a mother, to mature as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a servant of God, as a worker, as a leader. The sky is the limit. And I, today I pray for you that this truth that Jesus as our advocate, Jesus as our righteousness, will truly fill your mind and fill your heart and transform your life. May God bless you. Let us pray. Today, if you do not know Jesus in your life and you want to invite Him into your life, very simple. All you have to do is just to ask Jesus to come into your life. I'm going to pray a prayer to help you to receive Jesus into your life. If you do not know Jesus, you can pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I admit that I have sinned against you. Please come into my life. Forgive my sins and make me the kind of person you want me to be. If you say that prayer, Jesus has come into your life. And for the rest of us who have known Jesus, whether just recently for a long, or for a long, long time, I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that, Lord, every time we come before you, before your throne, you're always filled with compassion, filled with sympathy, because you understand. And I thank you for being our perfect sacrifice and for being our high priest, for being our advocate. You have dealt with the justice. You have paid the penalty for our sins. Our sins have been paid in full and I thank you, thank you that Lord you have fully forgiven us and we stand righteous and your righteousness is with us. I pray this time, each time when we are feeling down, when we are gathering evidences to try to justify ourselves, I pray that we will remember that your righteousness is our righteousness. You have given us the badge of honour. And therefore, I pray that we will grow in maturity, grow in knowing you, grow in being like you, grow in being a blessing to the people around us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for all that you have done. We give you thanks all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Yes, I hope that this you are encouraged by this truth from God from Hebrews chapter 5. And before you go, these are some questions for you that if you meet in your CG, then you can discuss. Be authentic, be open. Share with each other and pray for each other. God bless you.